0: Thank you, Sue, for reading. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, and you may be seated all at this time. And as you're being seated, the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed for Children's Church with Miss Diana and Miss Steph, and look forward to the time that they have as we spend the time together here in the sanctuary, looking here on this Palm Sunday at the word of of God together. We will be celebrating communion, uh, following our time, um, looking into God's word. Um, And so we look forward to what God has in store for us. Thanks to the worship team as well as we uh, make sure as Jesus told his disciples or the Pharisees about the disciples, uh, we don't want any rocks crying out in our place and praising God. Amen. And so we lift up the praise of the Lord together. Palm Sunday, this is the story of the triumphal entrance, the triumphal entry of Jesus. A number of years ago in another space of ministry, I did a wedding, and it was a beautiful celebration. Two lovers of Jesus coming together as husband and wife. Uh, the ceremony, they spent a lot of time on preparing it, wanting it to be a special time. Uh, they had worship as a part of the, the ceremony. They had communion as a part of the ceremony for the two of them together, coming together as husband and wife and celebrating communion together. It, it was a, a wonderful time of bringing two lives together and a wonderful time of celebration. And the celebration was going to continue at a reception venue, and that reception venue was about a half hour away, so everyone was driving from the church to the reception venue, ready to continue this celebration of two lives coming together. Well, on the way there, the grandmother of the groom was involved in a one-car accident accident to the point that she needed to be extracted from the car and life-flighted and about a week or ten days later passed away from those injuries. Horrific. Everyone knew what had happened when everyone arrived at this. And so we went from this time of just celebration and praise of God and, and wonder to a reception overshadowed by Heartache overshadowed by sadness, overshadowed by not knowing what was going to happen in the long term with this groom's grandmother. You may say, why in the world is he telling a story like this on Sunday morning? That's the most sad and depressing story that I think we could hear, especially coming out of a time of worship. But, you know, we can relate to a story like that with the human element. We can put ourselves in the place of being in a wedding celebration where it is God-honoring and people are are just in wonder of what is happening to this depths of sadness. I believe that's what is happening on Palm Sunday, on this day of triumphal entry. We have this great celebration as Jesus rides in on a donkey and everyone is celebrating and crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. There is the the height of celebration. This is the one that they are believing is going to deliver them from the hands of Rome. To in a moment, Jesus declaring this difficult, hard word of what was to come for them. The height of celebration And I've titled the message, Celebration and Desolation. How on Palm Sunday could something with such celebration be prophesied for such desolation? This morning we want to understand this because it's easy for us just to, on Palm Sunday, look at the celebration side of Palm Sunday and declare the king has come and and to welcome the king. But if we don't understand what happened and what Jesus is saying in these moments of speaking these words of sadness and destruction, we won't be able to understand how a crowd one day could cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, to five days later that same crowd yelling at the top of their lungs, crucify him, crucify him. On this Palm Sunday, it's, important for us to understand how it can go from celebration to such desolation in just a matter of days. But not just to stay there on that understanding, but to understand that in the desolation, there is actually an invitation, an invitation of Jesus to the people of God and an invitation to us today over 2,000 years later. So as we look at this invitation eventually, there will be things on the screen for you to be able to fill in some notes if you want to. The sermon note sheet is blank today, but we look forward to you just writing it if you're a note taker based off of the things that are on the screen. So let's look together at this story. Thank you again to Sue for reading the scripture this morning. Luke 19 verses 28 to 44. Is this account of Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday on Triumphal Entry Day. In verses 28 to 34, as Sue read, Jesus is on his way up, up. Jerusalem is at the top of the mountain. And the Jews would come every year at this time of year for Passover and they would journey up. There's a whole section of the Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, that they would recount together as they would journey up the mountain to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Passover. And it's on Jesus's way up the mountain, up to Jerusalem, that he sends two of his disciples ahead of him to secure a colt, a donkey that no one has ever ridden. He prophesies to these two disciples that the owner will respond this way. What are you doing? (laughs) Why are you taking this? Why are you untying it and gives them the answer? Tell them the Lord needs it. And sure enough, this is what happens. This was all to fulfill Zechariah 9:9, that Jesus would come in riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As we journey on in that passage in verses 35 and 36, the disciples throw their cloaks, their outer garments on top of this donkey for Jesus to sit on. And as they lead the donkey with Jesus on it down or into the city, they throw their cloaks on the ground. And they have in other accounts of this triumphal entry, which is in all four of the Gospels, the people are waving palm branches. It was as if they were having a victory parade for a king, for a king that was returning from war, for a king not just returning to war, but a king returning to war in victory. However, there is much intentionality and there is much prophetic fulfillment in the fact that Jesus is not riding on a white, powerful horse, but he is riding on a donkey that has never been ridden before because the scriptures and God's plan and Jesus and then in this fulfillment is coming not to say, I am coming to make war, but I am coming to bring peace. And I am coming to bring peace, not through violence, but through sacrifice. Through the laying down of the life of the Son of God on the cross. There is a day when the King of Kings will come to make war, to make all things right, and to overthrow all that is wrong and evil in this world. But on this Palm Sunday, that was not what Jesus was doing. He was coming to bring peace, to make peace between God and man, to be the sacrificial lamb of God. And so he rides in intentionally on this donkey. The people, though, don't understand this. Because as they are lifting up their praise to God, they say, and Leah read it this morning, Psalm 118 Psalm 118, verse 26 says, Blessed is he or blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You may, if you have your scriptures open, you may notice that there's a, a little bit of an alteration, there's a little bit of a change there. The people, instead of saying, Blessed is he or blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, they say, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they had an idea. They understood that the Messiah would be the king, but they were ready to make him king in that moment. They were ready to put him in that place of rulership, to overthrow Rome. And so they insert this little phrase, blessed is he or the one who comes in the name of the Lord with, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> and so in the midst of all this praise, in the midst of all of this celebration, something begins to shift. In verses 39 and 40, Jesus' loyal opposition, the Pharisees, who are in the crowd, they say to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus, instead of rebuking his disciples, rebukes them and says, if they don't praise me, The rocks, the rocks will cry out. There's a shift from celebration to opposition, but then there is this ultimate shift from celebration to desolation. Desolation can have a couple of different meanings, and in this passage, I see two meanings. I see first sadness, I see the sadness of Jesus in verse 41. Says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. The original language this is not just getting misty eyed. This is not just a, a little tear running down. You don't want anybody to see, and you know, you're watching a a movie and you don't want anybody to see that you're choking up over this movie. And it's, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not crying. It's, I was just cutting onions early. It's earlier. It's not that kind of cry. It's not those kinds of tears. This is a weeping. This is a deep convulsion. This is deep sadness. This is emotion that's flowing out. Tears. This is what they call the ugly cry. This is where Jesus is at. He weeps in sadness. Over the city of Jerusalem. And he says. If you. Even you. Had only known on this day. What would bring you peace. And you can hear it. In the midst of sobbing. If you. Only you. Had known on this day. What would have brought you peace. But now. Now it's hidden from your eyes. From celebration to the desolation of sadness, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because they missed him. They missed what he wanted and what he came to do. But there's also another piece of desolation and that is the side of destruction. Verses forty-three to forty-four: The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, and encircle you, and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children, you and you, and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Desolation and sadness, but desolation and destruction. Jesus predicts the desolation and the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple, which would have occurred some 37, 38 years later in AD 70, when the Romans encircled Jerusalem and broke through and ransacked the city and destroyed the temple. Jesus predicted, prophesied that event some 37, 38 years later. Celebration and desolation. Sadness and destruction. How did it go from such desolation to such ominous, or such celebration to such ominous desolation? The answer I believe, is if you're in Luke chapter 19, if you would turn back a few pages to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 and verses 34 through 35. This passage is the last time that Jesus was in Jerusalem prior to Palm Sunday, prior to the triumphal entry. In verses 34 through 35, Jesus says this. Luke 13, 34 and 35. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you, you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, prior to his entry on Palm Sunday, he prophesied what was going to happen the next time he was there. I'm not going to be back. You will not see me here in Jerusalem until you hear, until you say of me, Blessed is he, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Here is Jesus. The time before, weeks, maybe months, before his arrival, says, you're not going to see me again until when I come in, everyone says, Psalm 118, 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He gets it right. He doesn't add king. He says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He prophesies what is going to happen. I'm not going to be back, but when I'm back next, this is what you're going to say. And that is what they said on Palm Sunday. He declares it. He prophesies it. He shows who he is as the chosen Messiah of God. And he uses this word in verse 34 of desolate, or ver, verse 35. Look, your house is left to you desolate. The reason that the house of the Lord is left desolate to them is because of their history. Their history Of rejecting God's messengers, killing the prophets, and stoning others. And soon this people that rejected the prophets, stoned them, killed them, would kill God's ultimate messenger. Would kill God's ultimate ambassador, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Soon they would reject him. Soon they would crucify him. This was the cause of their physical desolation. On this Palm Sunday, we need to recognize, because this is where we're going. Friday, we gather for the Good Friday service. We remember the cross. We we need to remember how we get to that place. We also see in this passage not just the reason for the physical desolation that he was speaking of, but we see the reason for his sadness desolation, the reason that he wept. And that was because of his longing, his longing for them to gather and be gathered to him as his children together. And he uses his form of speech, a simile, With the word as, I long to gather you under my wings as a mother hen. As a hen gathering her chicks under her wings. This is Jesus' sadness. This is Jesus' longing. I long to bring you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And so in the midst of the, the desolation, this is where the invitation is. And this is where I want to reflect just on these last moments and then we will celebrate communion together. I want to see this mother hen analogy in at least three ways for the invitation that Jesus has for us. A mother hen does three things. A mother hen, these are the invitations of Jesus. The first invitation is that Jesus longs to give life just as A mother hen gives life. A mother hen, you'll notice there she is. She's on her eggs. She's in her nest. She's keeping her eggs warm until these eggs hatch and there's little baby chicks all around. The mother is the one bringing life. She's bringing life to her chicks. And Jesus, in a way, this is what he says. I have longed to bring you near to me, under my wings. I long to give you life. It's the first invitation of Jesus. Jesus invites us to himself. He was inviting them to himself to receive not physical life as these chicks were getting from their mother hen. But he is inviting them to receive spiritual life. To receive life that never ends. The cross is where this life was purchased. As Jesus went there, as we celebrate on Good Friday in a few days, as he willingly went as the Lamb of God who was slain, as the sin of the world was laid upon him, as his precious Blood was shed to pay our sin penalty. And then three days later, as we will gather in a week again to celebrate that our Savior and our King is not dead, but he is alive. The resurrection completes that work, conquering death, conquering the penalty of sin, conquering the enemy, and gives us the opportunity to receive spiritual life. Jesus, as he talked to the religious leader Nicodemus, said we must be born again or born from above, born from heaven. The reality of every human being, though physically alive, is that every human being is born spiritually dead and separated from God because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. But God has been in this rescue plan raising up a people in Israel who his promised Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, would come to bring salvation, to bring spiritual life to the world. Paul tells Titus this truth in Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. And this is the invitation of God for us in giving life. But when the kindness... And the love of God our Savior appeared. This is Jesus. He saved us. Saved us from death. Saved us from the penalty of our sin. Not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. Friends, sometimes people think that we're going to stand before God sometimes, and it's going to be like a scale, and there's going to be all the good things we've done on one side and all the bad things we've done on the other. And if the good outweighs the bad, then we're going to be good. Well, Paul's pretty clear here, isn't he? Not because of the righteous things that we have done. No works, no amount of goodness that we can do on our own will ever be able to bring this new life, this salvation. It's the mercy of God. He saved us, not through us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This language tells us that there is a spiritual work that is done by the Holy Spirit to make dead people spiritually alive spiritually. And it's nothing that I can do for you. It's nothing you can do for yourself. It's nothing that your mom or your dad or your grandmother It's nothing that anyone can do for you. There is one person who can do this, and it's Jesus, and he does it through the work of the Spirit who gives us new birth and new life by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified, and justified is simply a legal term that says, you are now innocent. Your debt of sin has been paid for. You no longer have it hanging over you. You are clear. It's a judge declaring you are now innocent, not guilty, though before we were guilty. Having been justified by his grace, God's unmerited favor is what grace is. We might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. I would encourage you to take this verse and read this five, ten, hundred times this week. And this verse will come alive more and more, the Spirit of God. And it will become life for you of what Jesus has done. He gives us life. It's the invitation of Jesus. As the mother hen, Jesus invites us to receive life, spiritual life from him. The second invitation of Jesus is just as a mother hen nurtures life, Jesus gives us the invitation that he wants to and offers to us the nurturing of life. Once those little chicks have hatched, everyone can say it now. Ready? One, two, three, on, three. One, two, three, Oh, Okay, yeah, Every, the, I know you wanted to say it. I just wanted to give everyone permission to do it at once. You have those eggs that hatch and they become these adorable little chicks. But these adorable little chicks need help. They need a mother who is going to protect them from predators. They need a mother who might need to protect them from themselves, from doing something dumb. (laughs) They need a mother who is going to warm them. Their, Their feathers are not fully developed. They're still bringing and growing and On a cold night, they need their mother to cover them and to provide warmth. And they need their mother to feed them. Friends, Jesus wants to be the nurturer. He invites you to be nurtured by him. There are all kinds of descriptions in scripture for the nurturing work that Jesus does. Scriptures tell us that Jesus is our protector. Like that mother hen is the protector, Jesus is our protector. Colossians 3 says we are hidden in Christ, in God. He's our protection. Just as the mother hen warms and feeds those chicks, Jesus warms and feeds us as well. He says of himself in John 6 that he is the bread of life says in John chapter 4 as he talked to the woman at the well that he gives living water, spiritual living water that we would not thirst again. John 15, he says, I'm the true vine and you're the branches. Remain in me, stay connected to me and you will have life apart from me. You can do nothing. John 10 tells us that he is the good shepherd who protects us and lays down his life for the sheep. We are the sheep. He leads us to food and to water. In that same passage, he's the gate through which we enter into salvation. But the gate is also the one the shepherd would come and would gather around his sheep to provide warmth to those sheep at night on a cold night. Jesus is our protector. He's our our warmth giver. He's the one who feeds us just like that mother hen. And he longs to bring us into that place. And so we access this nurturing work of Jesus through times reading his word in scripture, through gathering in public times to hear his word, but not just to be hearers of it and readers of it, to be, but to be obeyers of it, doers of it, to spend time in prayer, both in corporate times and personally, to spend time in worship on Sunday mornings and in groups, but also personal worship to have times of silence and solitude with him and to be with other believers who can lead us and minister to us in our times of need, to be the ministering presence of Jesus by the Spirit. It's one of the gifts of the church, why we are part of the church, the body of Christ. We minister to one another as the Spirit of God uses us to be the presence of Jesus, the nurturing, warming, feeding presence of Jesus to one another. So the invitation of Jesus as to that mother hen is to come to be nurtured by him. Last invitation is Jesus watches us. After six to eight weeks of the mother hen, after giving life, nurturing life, the mother hen just one day when she knows it's time just up and leaves. (laughs) not because she's mean not because she doesn't care but because she knows it's time for them they've gotten what they need from her it's time for them to go and figure this thing out on their own she's invested she's nurtured life and Jesus he does that work in us 40 days after he was resurrected from the dead he ascends to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. He leaves the disciples, but he leaves them with a mission. Go and be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But he doesn't leave them alone. He gives them his spirit. And in John sixteen seven, it says, Jesus says, it's good for me to leave because when I leave, I will send the comforter the Holy Spirit so that you will be launched to not just be a receiver but to be a minister in my name Jesus invites us to receive life to be nurtured by him and to be launched by him by the power of his spirit that's what he longed for That's what he longed to be for Jerusalem, for his people. But what brought such sadness and such desolation? But it's the invitation for each one of us this morning. Ultimately, Jesus is inviting you and I to himself. And whereas deep sadness overwhelmed him from Jerusalem's rejection of him, Here's the privilege we have this morning. We have the privilege and the opportunity to bring great joy to Jesus. Think about that for a moment. To bring great joy to Jesus this morning. By responding to his invitations wherever you find yourself. Maybe today it's receiving life from him. You've never come and been reborn from heaven. Maybe it's coming for nurture. Or maybe you've just been hanging around Jesus being nurtured and nurtured and nurtured and nurtured and nurtured. And and he's like, I'm ready to get you out of here. It's time to take what I've nurtured in you and go use it. But one way or another, we have the option and the opportunity from the invitation of Jesus to respond. As we prepare, we want to take a few moments Before communion. The worship team is gonna lead us in a song, and for probably most of us, it'd be a song that's new. And so if the worship team would come and they're gonna sing this for us, this would be an option, an opportunity for you as you listen, the words will be on the screen to prepare your heart for communion. But also, Lord, by your spirit, what are you inviting me into? How can I bring joy to you in my response to your invitation? Is it to receive life? Is it to receive the nurture to my soul? Or is it the empowerment of your spirit to be launched, to be launched for ministry?